Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham, a podcast at the intersection of sports, sports media, Hollywood, and hopefully life itself. I'm the executive producer and host, Ed. In this episode, we huddle with Emmy-winning filmmaker Greg Whiteley. Greg and a terrific team of documenters are the storytelling team behind two Netflix hit series, Last Chance You, which is set in college football and basketball, and Cheer, set in the world of college cheerleading. He's a standout nonfiction storyteller. At a peak time of creativity and output in the space, he is talented, responsible, thoughtful, and importantly, he hits deadlines. He's also a longtime friend and collaborator. When I first called Greg about being on the show, it was before Cheer Season 2 was released on Netflix, and he suggested we wait until after the release to do the interview. Perhaps there would be more to talk about. There sure was. In that moment, I knew of the huge success of Season 1. It was a breakout hit, won an Emmy, but then it all came tumbling down when the breakout star of the show was charged with multiple crimes, including sexual exploitation of children. If we had done the interview when I first called, we likely would have had a much different and lighter conversation, swapping stories about working on a rock doc together and how he still owes me for some voiceover work on a commercial. But after it was released, it is clear that Cheer Season 2 is far too important. So this will be all about Cheer, which means if you haven't seen Cheer 2 and intend to, be warned we may spoil a few things. And the conversation is intended for a mature audience and includes discussions of alleged sexual offenses involving minors. This is The Best Way Forward with Greg Whiteley. I've been excited to tell this story because I don't think you know about it. When people ask me where I came up with this idea to do this show, the short answer is it occurred to me and a producing partner that I had named Chelsea Yarnell when we were shooting the second season of Last Chance You, and we were just kind of trying to figure out how to make this tiny world of Scuba, Mississippi interesting for a second season of programming, we thought, well, we don't know anything about the cheerleaders. Let's go learn more about them. And, and when we followed them to a practice and we saw them performing stunts and just practicing at a level of intensity that we never saw on the sidelines of games. And, and when we prompted them and said, well, hey, what gives? How come we're never seeing these stunts on the sidelines? And they said, well, we're saving this for a Daytona. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's usually where the story ends because nobody wants to hear any longer. But The reason that that resonated with me, Ed, was I was in a Costco about seven or eight years earlier, and my wife is shopping in some section of the store getting whatever, you know, fruits and vegetables for the kids. And I in the TV section and and there is a a group of cheerleaders and it's not just any group of cheerleaders, but it's my alma mater. And so I'm interested and the, the sound is off, so you can't see what's going or hear what's going on, but I'm watching it. And then all of a sudden, it cuts to my friend, Ed Cunningham, who is, you are, you are the analyst of this event at Daytona. And so I am. Well, I was, I, was, uh, I was the kiss and cry backstage reporter, actually. Is that what they call that? <laughs> well, that's what I was. Yeah. Yeah. I was doing all the interviews. I was there when they got their scores and everything. I was right at the side of that stage for two years. It was amazing. Well, the whole thing was surreal for me because A, I didn't know anything about competitive cheerleading. B, I didn't know that my alma mater was any good at it. And then three, the fact that my friend, my good friend is on TV and he is the, as you say, the 
the kiss and show, the kiss and tell. Uh, kiss and cry. The kiss and cry. <laughs> yeah, you don't kiss and tell. The kiss and cry uh, backstage. That made an, that had an imprint on me. I, I, and I remember texting you, not realizing that it wasn't a live broadcast I was seeing. And then you, ex- you explained that to me. But somewhere that made an, such an impression that when these cheerleaders and in Scuba, Mississippi, were explaining to me what Daytona was, it resonated to the point where I go, well, I, I, I must be called to go make this into a show. It is cool that that on that beach in that amphitheater is a fantastic venue. I mean, it's really oh, it's I was unbelievable. Stunned. I studied, you know, I studied hard to do that. I I went and learned their moves, who the best teams were. You know, just exactly what you and your team have done remarkably well. The the series is amazing, Greg. Congratulations. Oh, thank um, you. But here you are. We've been at this a long time. We've made a lot of this content in these you know, sort of uh, subculture worlds of people going for stuff, right? And trying stuff. But you did season one. It wins an Emmy. It's a huge runaway hit. It spawns star after star. And then one of those stars is arrested. And you have to deal with the reality of that. Why season two here? Why go back for that second time? We went back. I don't think anybody was anticipating the first season of cheer being as, as popular as it was. To me, I felt like there was still more story to tell in that little town. And it, when we began filming, none of the allegations against Jerry Harris had come out yet. So uh, Jerry had gone off to Louisville, did not love being at Louisville, and so returned to Navarro and he's there by the time we get there. And so he's a member of that team. Mm. And we filmed during the course of that season that is then interrupted by COVID. Mm. So if people, when they watch the second season of Cheer, you're going to get almost a full season. I mean, it's really quite heartbreaking how things are cut off. You have these two teams who are preparing. We're filming both of them, TVCC and Navarro. And for a lot of these cheerleaders, particularly if you're out of eligibility, this is your last year and it's everything. And to, and to have it taken from you, even for a legitimate reason, you know, to keep people safe because of, of COVID, it was just heartbreaking, but it was also heartbreaking because I didn't know what kind of a story we had. If you, if you have a show that the premise of it is to watch teams preparing for an event and then that event gets canceled, mm. what do you have? We went dark. We began editing the footage that we already had. We began stringing it out under the assumption that we would be allowed to go back and pick up where we left off. And it was during that time that the allegations towards Jerry Harris came to light. Um, Ed, I can can tell you, there's been a couple of moments in my life, and you, you know what I'm talking about, where you receive a bit of news and you know right where you were, the time of day. You, I think for me, you can even remember smells. You can remember what you were wearing and, and certainly what you were doing uh, when you received that news. You and I had a friend, Arthur Killer Kane, who passed away. And I remember getting that phone call from Russ Tippett. That's one of those moments for me. Another moment was getting a text message that had a link to an FBI report on Jerry Harris, of all people, you, you spend four months filming 
a, a small handful of individuals and you get to know them. At least you feel like you get to know them. To me, receiving that news, uh, it was, I felt this, I was displaced. I, I, what I thought was true and right about the world was incorrect. And there appeared to me to be fairly compelling proof that Jerry was not everything he purported to be, or that there was more to him than, than he had initially. Yeah. And that that's clear with his close friends and the people who share from the team in your series. Um, no, no one knew this, uh, this side of him or this was going on. It seems. Well, the, the lawyer for the twins who very graciously appeared in our show uh, she explained it best. She was a, a victim of, of Larry Nasser. Um, she was Larry Nasser's first victim as she was a young uh, gymnast of some talent. And she said, nobody suspects it because the people that are perpetrating these kinds of crimes, and we should be clear, Jerry's not been convicted of anything yet. He's been accused of it and he, and he's, and he's currently arrested and he stands trial. But um if the evidence, if it is what it purports to be, and if the allegations end up proving to be true, Jerry falls into this category of people that um, they're just very good at hiding what it is that, that they do. And, and that's what allows them to do what they do. And I also think the crimes can be of a certain nature that they're just so difficult to think about that I think somewhere in the deep recesses of our mind, we don't like to admit that these things are possible. And I think that makes it even easier to get away with this kind of stuff. When we spoke, you shared with me that you had done an interview with the mom and, and the two boys uh, that have made the allegations against Jerry. First of all, did you think of scrapping the show? Was there a moment of what do we do here? How do we move forward? Is it, you know, what do we do with this sort of half a season that we've shot? No, I, I it never occurred to me to mm. scrap the show. I I feel like uh, I'm a documentarian, and my job is to report what I find to be true as best as I can. And as uncomfortable as it was, as difficult as it was to report on that story, I I felt like uh, I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't be much of a a documentarian if I simply ran from every issue that was uncomfortable or difficult to deal with. And how soon after that was the way forward? Um, because I, I, you know, I really was moved uh, by the, by the mom and, and the two sons, uh, her sons, the, the two boys that have made the allegations, just, I think them participating is direct directly related to what you were just saying about us not wanting to admit things that are really hard truths and talk about exposing yourself and being vulnerable to say yes to be in a hit massive Netflix series that built the person that you're accusing of these crimes. How did you approach them? Strangely, Ed, I, I don't think our, my job was any different than it was in season one. In season one, you show up and here's something I don't know a lot about uh, cheerleading. And I don't know these people, these participants very well. And um, so I, I go to work. I, we film, we, we stay open, we stay curious, we ask questions. Now the landscape changes um, because the show is 
is popular to a certain to such a degree that the people themselves, their lives have been altered when we come back to film them again. And so we have to account for that. As far as the Jerry story, the, the allegations that were made against Jerry, the crimes that he was, he's currently accused of committing, the dates predate the show. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, Jerry was, he had a certain level of fame and notoriety in the cheer community prior to us coming to him. I mean, if you're yeah. somebody that is a Navarro cheerleader, and particularly if you're somebody as charismatic as Jerry, you just occupy a certain space in the cheer world already, well before we got to him. But regardless of when we find him, and regardless of, you know, the, the sensitivity of the issue that we know that we have to address, the muscles are just the, the very same. You stay open, you stay curious, you ask questions, you you, you, you try and approach people who can, who can tell this story. And, and by the way, we made several attempts at trying to uh, get an interview with Jerry or get an interview with anybody who was defending Jerry to, to get that side of the story as well. And, and unfortunately, we could not persuade them uh, to do that. And, and so we just have to do the best we can with the voices that we have. And I, I hope to do it in a way as we do with anything we're trying to film, I want to do it in a way in which here are voices that are going to tell you their version of the story, their version of events. And I want the audience to watch and, and discern the truth, what they think is true. And that's true whether or not we're filming a team as they hustle to prepare, put the last finishing touches on a routine for Daytona, or whether we're exploring some pretty dark allegations around someone who was previously beloved and, and beloved, by the way, in a way I've never witnessed in anything I've ever filmed. And, and you've had breakout stars. I remember the, um, the education woman in uh, season one and two of Last Chance You. Brittany uh, Wagner, correct. Yeah, yeah. I saw that when we were at a game at LSU. She was uh, a huge star with that fan base. And that's a lot of responsibility. And, you know, as a parent, you know, my heart just broke for this woman, Kristen, and what she's going through and the bravery of her sons who have been, you know, they've been ostracized in the world they love. What made them, have you talked to them? Why did they choose to speak to you? What, what, what was the sort of push in those conversations for them to say yes and come on camera? Well, what they told us was that they uh, respected that the work that we had done in season one. Um, and after uh, a very lengthy initial conversation and um, a, a follow-up conversation with the lawyer, um, they decided they wanted to move forward. I think you'd have to ask them. I, I think there's all kinds of reasons why you would want to have an opportunity to set the record straight. Of course, you, you've got to make some decisions if you're a mom, because you, you're, you've got two kids who are um, very young, you know, still, they're still just 15, 16 years old. And, and so you've got some decisions to make there. I, I think, you know, I can just speculate, but I think, Ed, one of the things that you have to account for is this world we're living in 
is so different than the one you and I grew up in, mm-hmm. where it was such a big deal to be on a show that other people would see. And now you've got kids that are starring in their own show that appears daily. And, right. and sometimes those numbers are just in the hundreds, but very frequently they're in the thousands and tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. I, I think you've just got a group of a, a generation of people that are way more comfortable on camera than, than you and I ever were. Mm. The one thing that sort of struck me and, and getting at this was, you know, the, the blowback when you share your story. All credit, as, as you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but all, all credit goes to that mom and those twin boys. Yeah. I, I, you know, easy, it's easy for me to ask them, will, will you let me interview you? But it's, it's their name and likeness that's going uh, to be represented. And it's a huge leap of trust on, on their part to allow us to do that. And I'm, I'm infinitely grateful they did. And have you spoken to them since the show came out? No, I, I've traded with their lawyer um, just in an attempt to give them a heads up that here's when the show is going to be launching and here's the episode where they're going to be appearing. Uh, but that's as much contact as I've had with them. So you, you don't know what the response has been, because that was really the painful and sort of heartbreaking part for me is here's these guys who've chosen this thing. You know, you and I chose sports and other, all of us choose something to be into. And we get into that culture and, you know, the, the struggles that they've had since coming forward. Um, but, you know, at the end, you know, you asked, did they have regrets? Would they do it again? And they, they're resolute in wanting to come forward and share their story. It's, it, you're, you're right. It's quite brave. I knew that when, as we were editing episode five of season two, the, the Jerry episode, that this was going to be tough. I know what was appealing about season one of cheer and this was a left turn. You know, this, we're not, we're now dealing with a subject matter that on your best days, you, you have a tough time dealing with. And so to choose to do it when you're expecting the, the good time that you had in watching season one, I knew that was going to be hard. Um, uh, but I also feel very strongly it is necessary and it's, it is part of what we do. This was such a part of uh, not only it, was it a part of Jerry's story, which was he was a huge part of the show in season one. It's just not something he's just not somebody you can ignore. But the news of that, of, of what had happened to Jerry and the way that it affected an entire community of people. I don't know. I've just, it, it would to film it and, to, and to, I was just so nervous. How will this, there's so many ways you can get it wrong, but I think the ways you get it wrong the fastest is by deciding ahead of time what's true or attempting to sweep under the rug something because you feel like it's going to hurt the popularity of your show or it's going to be uncomfortable for viewers. I think your highest percentage chance of doing your job right in this particular instance is to hit it head on and be as honest and as empathetic and as open as you can be uh, with, with the subject matter. And 
um, I, I hope where it's landed is that people leave the experience edified. Uh, maybe you leave the experience a little smarter. Your radar is a little, a little more attuned to just what might be out there by people you'd never suspect. Uh, or I also think it's helpful to hear people who have been through something difficult. And I think you could, if, if the least you do is you tell the story in such a way that it invites a level of compassion and empathy from the viewer, uh, well, mission accomplished as far as I'm concerned. Is there a season three? I, honestly, um, I think the, the, the answer I've been coached to give, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Nobody's told me they, I, I don't, there's nothing has been decided yet and it's getting kind of late in the day to make these decisions. So I know I've got to figure out something, but nobody's, nobody's made any final determinations on, on just if there's going to be a season three and if so, when that will be. Thanks, Greg. I think the way that you and your team handled season two allows for that possibility. You can stream both The Last Chance You and Cheer Series on Netflix now. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. And you can follow the show on social media. Twitter, at Let's Huddle With. Facebook, Let's Huddle With Ed Cunningham. Instagram, Let's underscore Huddle underscore With underscore Ed. And you can find the show's webpage at Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. Scroll through their impressive lineup. Search up Let's Huddle to get to our main page. Reach out. Let us know what you think. Any corrections or topics and people that you'd like to hear about and from. Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham is a production of True Stories Incorporated and is edited by Ryan Lindsay of Fushaw Media. The Believe team on the Let's Huddle beat, producers Alex Sasopoulos, Joe DeLeon, and Josh Fisher. Audio engineer is Carter. Connor Haynes and Cam Rogers help out with the marketing. And my first contact with Team Believe, Ron Husenstam, the chief executive. Thanks, everyone. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.